stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Welcome to uh, welcome to Rick Bonfin Ministries Bible Study on a Monday morning. I hope you had a good weekend and you're ready to get into the week on Monday morning and get into the Word with us again. We've been walking through the book of Philippians and we are on Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 and we'll go through verse 18. This is, uh, if you miss Dr. Thomas, our good friend, Reverend Dr. Gene Thomas on Thursday morning, he walked us through that beautiful passage where Paul is quoting a hymn, an early hymn about the uh, sacrifice of Jesus and how He humbled Himself totally on the cross. And it's just beautiful. Go watch that Bible study. You'll be blessed by it. And then we'll pick up here in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. So read along with me. I'm going to read all the verses, and then we'll go back and, and discuss it. Sound good? So let's begin with verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Hopefully you found it there in your Bibles by now. So Paul continues, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have already always obeyed, not as in my absence only, but now much more, I'm sorry, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yes, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. So Paul is continuing here his exhortations to the church in Philippi. And he's reminding them of how to approach life in this world that just as he says, is perverse. Perverse and crooked. And so he's talking to them about how to compose yourself as a follower of Jesus in a world that wants nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the goodness of God. It's perverse and crooked. So how do we compose ourselves in the midst of of that. And so he starts off saying, first of all, encouraging them and saying, 
My beloved, you have always obeyed. You've always obeyed. Not only when I was with you, but you've walked in obedience to Christ when I'm away from you. In other words, I know that you have it in you to do this. And so let's look at that word, to obey. It was, it's funny, I, I looked at the, it did a little key word study there. And the word obey in Greek actually means really just to listen and to submit to what you're hearing. It, it's a word that, that involves hearing, okay, and then submitting to what you hear. You would pin to what you hear. Okay? And so you're surrendering to what Paul is speaking. And so what did Paul just finish speaking to them about? He just finished talking to them about the humility of Jesus. Oh, that's very interesting. And he just finished talking to them about how he, we as Christians are to serve one another and to follow the example of Christ who are laying down our lives for the sake of others. In other words, serving others, not looking after our own interests, okay? Because he knows that this the circumstances of life continually try to get us to think only about ourselves. And that the secret to living a joy-filled life is to serve others. It's to not be selfish, to not just be thinking about yourself all the time, but to learn how to serve others. So he's saying, you've got to keep doing this. You can't stop doing it. Okay, a, a, a Christian service is not something where you do it a couple times and then you check it off the box and you don't have to serve anymore. You know? It, it's a continual thing that we're, we're serving. So he's urging them to continue uh, working this out. Now, when Paul says to work out your own salvation, okay? So let me just stop right there. Clearly, he, not, he is not referring to uh, earning salvation, okay? So, there's been plenty of other places where Paul uh, just very emphatically states that salvation is by faith alone and the work of the cross where Jesus took the punishment of sin upon Himself at the cross. We could do nothing to save ourselves. But when he's talking about working things out, he's, he's simply saying that you have to continue to be in it. In other words, if you get saved... You have your salvation experience and then you call it good. Well, that's not the life that God has called us to. And so Paul is all too aware that circumstances of life will create opportunities for the devil to derail us from the Christ-centered life. Let me say that again. Paul is all too aware that the circumstances of life will create opportunities where the devil is going to want to use that Difficult circumstance to try to derail you from the Christ-centered, spirit-filled life that is found in the gospel. And Paul is desperately urging the Philippian church, do not fall prey to this scheme of the devil. Because we live in a crooked and perverse uh, world where we will pre be presented with difficult circumstances over and over again, not just one time. Okay? And now, Paul found himself in prison. And the Philippian church is wondering, okay, what do we do? The guy who founded our church has been put in jail. 
And he's saying, don't be bothered by this. You've got to continue on. Now that I'm not with you, it's time for you to start growing up. It's time for you to start growing up. In other words, continue. Paul seems a little concerned that the circumstance of this would cause these Christians of Philippi to doubt their faith in Jesus, to doubt their commitments to Christ. And so as we encounter circumstances in our own life where the devil would love to use it, we have to be committed to working out our salvation. Okay? We have to be committed to submitting to the Spirit in obedience continuously. And we're going to get there in just a second, sort of unpacking that concept because Paul goes right into it. Okay? So let's look at it. Now, how do you... So the question is, how do you work out your own salvation? How do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Uh, Paul not saying being afraid there, but in other words, reverent. So here, the temptation, and those of, those of you who might be in a different culture from America, you know, we have this idea that we can do it ourselves, right? This personal effort. I can work out my own salvation. So Paul says, work out your salvation. Okay, let me do it, right? I'm going to just muster up some strength here. But Paul says, now wait a minute. Before you go there, before you get to this concept of of I'm going to just bull rush into working out my Christian walk, Paul gives us verse 13 and he says, now wait a minute, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Well, that's just a mouthful right there. So Paul is saying to the Philippian church, you can't give up. But see, success as a Christian doesn't come from your own good efforts. See, the effort that Paul is challenging us here is not, not, not the self-made man idea that us Americans have come up with, right? I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to depend on my self-will. I'm going to be an opportunist. Opportunist it's being crafty in business or finances or crafty with how to deal with people. And, and really, it, it, it's a survival of the phys- fittest mentality. If I can figure out how to do it better than the others, then I'll succeed, and then um, I'll be successful. And many, many Christians, American Christians at least, I know that those of you around the world don't struggle with this, struggle when you become a Christian, transplanting that mentality into Christianity. Because that, that's the culture that, that we have developed as Americans as being the self-made man, Right? I'm going to create my own destiny. And I've seen many people translate that concept into after they get saved and then they begin to try to work their Christian life the same way. I'm going to create I'm going to create myself a good Christian. I'm going to force myself to be a good Christian. And it's and it's exhausting. It's actually a very fruitless life because it's dependent upon your own human abilities. So, what is the effort that Paul is asking us here? If it's not that self-made man, I'm going to create my own, my own Christian destiny idea. 
Well, it's a surrendering type of effort. It's a submitting type of effort to the Holy Spirit of God. Because, see, it's only possible through the power of Holy Spirit to live a life that is fruitful to the kingdom and that is actually abundant and full of joy. And Paul gets to the joy aspect of it in just a minute here, but let's stop a second here because I want to talk about the power to live the life that God calls us to live. Because, see, Paul says it's God who works in you to do two things. First of all, to will, and then to do, to act. And there's two different things. The desire, the drive, and then the power to actually carry it out. So let's look at this. In Romans 8, 3 to 4, two verses here that I want to bring in to sort of complement what Paul is saying here to the Philippian church. Paul is talking about the fact that it's impossible for us to fulfill the law in our own human efforts. So he says in verses 3 and 4 of Romans 8, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by human nature, by our inability to keep God's law. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Okay, this is God doing all this. We, we had no power in ourselves. And now listen to this last part. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, if you're living according to the Spirit, it is possible to walk in step with God. But see, it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to empower the believer to do this. The same Holy Spirit that gives the nine gifts of the Spirit out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So you've got the gifts of the Spirit where the Spirit moves to, to, to give a word of wisdom, to minister to others, to give a word of knowledge, to give gifts of healing, to, to prophesy to others. It's also the same Spirit that empowers us to walk in obedience to God. And so God works with our will, that part of our soul that drives us, that causes us to make decisions and to want to do things, to pursue certain things in life. So we learn that our human will is incapable of following God. Because our will, our human will, is a dangerous and it's a devious thing apart from Christ. Taking us down paths that we think are to our advantage, but in the end lead to emptiness. Let's look at some Proverbs here. And two Proverbs and one verse out of Isaiah that talks about this. All right, Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Whoa. Let me read that again. Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Isaiah 5.21 Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So all of these verses talk about how we do such a good job in our own will saying that I know what I need to do. I know how to make it work. I can create my own opportunities. 
See, upon salvation, the Spirit of God begins to minister to our human will so that we can start to have some humility and realize that, you know, maybe I shouldn't try to make my own destiny. Starts to bring us to a place where we submit to God's wisdom and God's direction. And we our desire changes so that we're not looking for what we want to do, but we're trying to look for what God wants to do. Changes our will. So God ministers to that part of us. Secondly, He empowers us. He empowers us to actually carry out what it is that He's asking us to do. That's what this note says here. This refers to the Holy Spirit who energizes the saint. I love that word, energize. I'm, I'm using the word power, empower. Uh, the Spositor's Bible uses the word energize. Energizes the saint. Making him not only willing, but also actively desirous of doing God's sweet will and able to do it. To surrender our will so that we are not imposing ourselves into a situation, but able to hear the voice of God and to carry out what God is asking us to do. Have you found yourself sort of feeling conflicted? Feeling like you've been spinning your wheels. You've been trying so hard to achieve the perfect Christian life. But it just isn't working. It might be possible that you are caught in that mindset of you've translated the cultural idea of creating your own destiny as a Christian. And so now you are trying to create your own Christian destiny. And God is saying, I'm sorry, but you don't understand. I have something totally different in mind for you. But you're not listening to me. Maybe God is talking to you and saying, let's look here and let's look there. Pray about that. Ask the Lord if maybe you haven't, you haven't quite heard really what He's trying to say to you yet. Okay, so, so then we've got that, but then Paul makes it even, well, he raises the standard even more in verse 14. Why? Because he said, you know what, just doing the will of God isn't quite the full Christian life that God expects us of, of, of us. You know what else? He also is asking us to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, have you ever met a sour Christian? Huh? You ever met a sour Christian? A sour Christian. Have you ever met one of those? Man, they stand out. They, it's, it's like eating a bunch of gummy bears, and then hidden in there is one of those Sour Patch kids. And it shocks you. you know, oh, man. You can't miss it. It's just a sour Christian who they're saved, but man, they're just sour on the inside. They're just they, they're grumpy. They argue. They complain about their Christian life. But there's no joy in it. And Paul is saying, "Well, now wait a minute. Doing the work of God, but complaining about it the whole time, is not at all who we're supposed to be as Christians." You see, as Christians, we're called to do the work of the Lord and do it with joy. 
and, and, and I hope that those of you listening and you feel like your joy meter has been pretty low, don't take this as a condemnation thing at all. What I'm actually saying is that according to Paul, there's a life of joy in Christian service that you're missing out on and God wants to bring you into it. So I'm not presenting a concept here for you and saying that it's impossible for you to ex- experience that. I'm encouraging you that you don't have to stay in that. The devil wants to make you think that, you know, the Christian life is just terrible. <laughs> you know, sure, you're saved, but you're not going to be happy. <laughs> you won't be happy the whole, your whole life. You won't be happy until you get to heaven. And then you might be happy. You know, that's the devil talking to you. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. There's a, there's a place where we, we don't have to grumble and complain about the Christian life. So that we can become blameless and pure children of God without fault. And that's what makes you shine. You want to be a a star in the dark night? You want to be a star that just shines the love of Jesus in a dark night? Then me and you, I've got to figure out how to be those shining stars. And to shine, you can't be a complainer and a grumbler. Right? Right? we got to find a way to be have joy and gladness and sing a song. You know, in the mornings we come and we put on, we put on the worship music. And usually I pull out my, my, my iPhone and I, I put the worship music on to do our prayer time, 45 minutes. And, uh, and every now and then, you know, one of those sort of slow, minor key, subdued songs come on. I usually skip it. <laughs> Why? Because when I come for prayer at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, I don't... I don't really want to be mourning before the Lord. <laughs> I need something that's going to wake me up and say, Hallelujah, bless these people of God who are on our prayer board. God, God, would you bless Pastor Rick and his brethren and his brothers and would you bless his kids and his grandkids? Would you bless my family? Would you bless the walkers? Bless the appels and, 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 and our friend Betty and bless Kathy and, and all her family and Felipe and Savannah and, and all those in Brazil. Bless our Pastor Kyung who leads worship. Bless Randall and Jason and, and, and bless the board. And Lord, just anoint all our friends and our family. That's what I, So, you know, not, you know, I say we can't sing a slow song sometimes, but in the morning, man, I, I usually skip those songs. <laughs> I got to wake up in the morning, man, and I got to pray. Hallelujah. So, Paul is saying, come on, let's, let's find out how to be joyful. And it's, and it's, a, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It only comes by the Spirit. You can't, you can't manufacture joy out of your own soul. The joy that comes from the Lord is given by the Holy Spirit. And you experience that joy as you invite the Holy Spirit. And one of the, one of the fastest ways I know to start letting joy flow is just pray in the Spirit. And those, those of you that watch us a lot, I hope you don't get tired of hearing us talk about praying in the Spirit. Honestly, I don't think we're ever going to stop talking about it because we never get tired of doing it. <laughs> because as we come and, you know, sometimes we're praying, we're doing the prayer board and stuff here in the mornings, and after a while your mind, you know, you, you can only pray with your, with your human mind so much, and then you just have to go, oh, shut and just let the Lord take over. Let the Spirit take over. 
so that you're not dependent on your mind, which just gets tired. You depend on the Holy Spirit, which doesn't get tired. As, as, uh, as our friend here says, it energizes us. Gives us energy and brings that joy. And let's, let's joy come. Hallelujah. Okay. Hallelujah. Spend a little time on that, so let me move on, because i got six minutes. Seven minutes. All right. Okay, so our attitude, our demeanor, as we walk in obedience is, is important. All right? Following God and complaining and whining the whole time is not a good testimony. I talked about that. Okay, I talked about that. Yeah, I talked about that. <laughs> I talked about all my notes. <laughs> Let's get down to this last part. Oh, man. It's the joy that enables you to shine in the midst of a of a generation that's full of darkness. And then Paul, Paul then in verse 16, begins to make this personal. He says, holding forth the word of life. And then he says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. He makes it personal. And he, 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 he appeals to them to say, listen, I've invested a lot in you guys. Okay? That I have not run in vain, neither labor in vain. In other words, all the work I did, all the price that I paid for you all, don't waste it. Don't waste the price I paid. Don't waste the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And so he says, yes, and I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. And he's referring there to the drink offering. He's poured out like a drink offering. He's being poured out. So he's saying, even though I am being poured out like a drink offering, he says, I joy and rejoice. In other words, I'm not asking you to do something that I was not willing to do myself. As a leader, Paul is saying, if I'm going to ask you to do it, then I'm willing to do it myself. That's one of the things I love about Jesus, too. As he says, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I wasn't willing to do myself. I gave everything. I gave my whole life on the cross. I totally surrender, sacrifice everything that I am. And so, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. And Paul is the same way, he's saying, I'm trying. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think we could say that Paul was able to do it as perfectly as Jesus, but man, he sacrificed a lot. And he's saying, and, I, and I'm really trying to do it with joy here. And actually, Jesus, it says, in Hebrews 13, that he, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. For the joy set before him, even though it was hard. And man, Paul went through some hard stuff. He, 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 he lists a lot of that stuff in his letters that he went through. But he said, I, I tried as best I could to do it with joy because I saw God moving, God setting people free. God saving people, delivering people, healing families. The drink offering, okay, the drink, so it's a reference to the Old Testament, right? And so, and actually, it's interesting that this comes up here because Pastor Rick has been talking a lot about the Old Testament sacrificial system. And one of the things that was done with, with the, when the sacrifice was made, let me make sure I get it right because there's a lot that happens there, but when... When the meat was offered, okay, 
the animal and the grain and the oil, wine was also poured over about a quart, roughly a quart. They called it a hen. It's roughly a quart of wine was poured over, and then it would evaporate and be part of the aroma that would rise. And Paul is saying, I'm just trying to be part of the aroma. I'm just, I'm just trying to be something that pleases God. And, and that brings me joy. And it's the Holy Spirit that's enabling me to do that. <clears throat> and so he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus. And Jesus references this when he gives the cup. And he, and he says, this is the cup which is poured out for you as a new covenant. That's a reference when he, when he at the Last Supper, when he has the cup. Okay, John 19.34. Wait, no, that's not the reference. Uh, Luke 22.20. And he takes the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you. He's referencing the concept of the wine drink offering that was poured out over the sacrifice. And it went up to the Lord and he's saying, I am the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice that's going to take away the sins of the world. And so Paul is saying, well, that's who I want to be too. I want to be Christ-like. And it's my joy to do it. Would that I would get to that place where I would be able to be physically persecuted, put in prison, harassed and put down, but still have the joy of the Lord to serve. I'll be honest with you that I don't know that I'm there. (laughs) I don't know that I'm where Paul is as he was writing this letter sitting in jail. But I'm asking God, to work in me to will and to do, not with complaining, but with joy, the work that He's called me to do. So what is it that God has put on your heart? What is it that God is talking to you about that that He's saying you need to sacrifice something in your life to get it done? And then ask Him for the strength to do it and do it with joy that you will shine like a star as a wonderful testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening this morning. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Keep watching. We have some great Bible studies coming up right after this. Have a great day.
Unge a minha alma 